I think we're coming up on a breaking point where if we keep seeing it, not only is it going to drive away fans, but it's it's going to change the game long term. Welcome to episode three of The Fanalists. I want to start off this episode by thanking all of you guys, the listeners. I think Brett and I agree that there's a lot more of you guys listening than we expected, and we appreciate your support. Uh, let's get into this week. This week we're going to be talking about two teams that are kind of in a potential transition. Two different leagues, two different teams. We're talking about the Raptors and potentially moving Kyle Lowry along with the Penguins and potentially moving Crosby, Malkin, Latang, their older core group that still has a lot of talent. And then we're going to dive in a little bit to the refing in the NHL. Uh, if you're a hockey fan and you've watched the NHL the past couple of seasons, we've definitely seen a transition in how penalties have been called. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. So let's start by talking about the first team that's in a bit of a gray area. They just lost their GM. Rutherford just quit. They've got older talent that's still playing really well under decent contracts. Honestly, I can't believe that the Penguins are in this situation right now. Like, uh, They've just been so consistent throughout my life as a hockey fan. Like, I can basically vaguely remember them when they started drafting all their stars. So, like... The, as I became a serious hockey fan, they were always this this consistently competitive team. It didn't really seem like it was going to come a time where something like this would start happening. I mean, we talked about it in one of the previous episodes that uh, this stuff's inevitable, but I just, with that one too, I just could never imagine it. And honestly, Rutherford, he's done such a good job surrounding them with Maybe not elite talent, but talent that fit in their system and did interesting things. Like, they were always just key pieces that brought something to the table that you needed on a good team. And I just can't believe their start and uh, some of the rumblings you're hearing about the team. I just never thought you'd start to hear this. Like, when you hear that um, one of the reasons they were going to, that Rutherford left is that he wanted to blow it up and the ownership wasn't about that. I, I really just don't know where they go from here. They don't have a ton of prospect capital. They traded away a lot of their first round picks. I just, I don't know how you continue going the way they've been going. I hope they do, but I also hope that if this is the end, they pull the plug sooner rather than later. And, uh, get some assets for the players they have in place instead of being one of those teams like we talked about with Detroit where it was over and they kept trying to make it not be over. And uh, we saw how that ended up. They're a mess right now, and I don't think anyone envies being the Detroit Red Wings. So I, I really hope that there's some good asset management moving forward in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I think now we're we're starting to see what – the those years the toll that those years of Rutherford for just going oh yeah we're we're in win now mode here take our draft picks 
to to build a team that was winning that like you said has always kind of been a good team has always been a team that's always been in the runnings and now that's catching up to them that attitude of just go for it just do it that Rutherford had is kind of biting them in the ass now from from everything I've read it seems like Rutherford just kind of didn't want to deal with the idea of blowing it up like he wanted to blow blow the team up and start fresh but then kind of was like eh I'm 72 forget it that's that's enough I'm gonna walk away (laughs) so it seems like the organization wants to keep that core together and they want to rebuild around that core. But I don't know if that's the right move now. I'm the kind of guy that will stick it out with, with older guys because they still have a lot of talent to help develop the younger guys. But I think with that core, I don't know if that's the right move. So I guess, what, what do you think? Do you think now's the time to blow it up and start from scratch or do you ride it out for a few years? I think they might have to blow it up, to be honest. Like, I just don't want to see Pittsburgh end up being one of those teams. Like, they've meant so much to my development as a hockey fan, even though I'm not a fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins per se, that, like, I don't want to see them go to one of those purgatory teams where they're just going through the motions. And uh, if I were talking to my kids 15 years from now, they're like, yeah, right, Dad, Pittsburgh good? I don't know. Like, and that's what I see happening. Like, a lot of their assets still have a ton of value. And and I I have no idea what you could get for Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby, but you're going to have a hard time reassembling a core around two guys that are 34 and 33, respectively. Like, how long are you going to wait before you sit there and say that those guys – are no longer high-level assets. Like, you might start getting the pieces right at the time they start to decline, and uh, I don't necessarily know that that's ideal. Depending on which Pittsburgh fans you talk to right now, they might be telling you that Evgeny Melkin is already on the decline and just doing a little bit of a dive into his stats to start the season. Uh, You could make a case for that. I just don't necessarily think that you can say that with only being this many games into the season, but but there's a better case for that than there is one saying that he's still an elite-level player at this point in the season. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, like, looking at Malkin, Latang, Gensel, like, they're all, these are all guys that are going down. Like, I'd say Gensel is still... He's on the incline, but he's not the kind of player that you have that you could build a team around. He's a great asset to have, but you move these guys, then who do you have, right? Who, Who does the organization then try and build around? Or do you get somebody new? Yeah. I think it's, uh, maybe it's about time to get somebody new. I think that the, these assets are just so, highly valued right now you could really fleece a team like say Montreal who you're seeing all the rumblings about with Crosby Montreal or Colorado they have a ton of assets right now 
especially Colorado, there's no way you can't tell me that uh, you might not be able to build around a, a Bowen Byram or an Alex Newhook. Honestly, people are saying, you know, let these guys retire Penguins or let this or that happen. I don't think that that's the right idea at this point. Well, no, I don't, I don't know that it is either because Crosby, right now, he's still under contract till he's 38. I think he will still be a good player at 38, but I don't know that he's a top-line center when he's 38 years old. Like, that's still a long ways away, and that's a lot of playtime under your belt. Like, there's not a lot of players that can maintain that level, that pace at that age. And uh, you always hear that, oh, you know, their legacy and this and that. But honestly, if any of these guys leave and continue to go on to another team where they can actually have an impact in the league, I think that does just as much for their legacy as playing every single game in their career as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Yep, I agree. I I still I don't think they're going to move. I think that the Penguins want these guys, at least Crosby and maybe Crosby Latang, to go down with the ship. But that's just it. I, I say that, I say go down with the ship because you know that it's going downhill with them still there. But it seems like Lemieux and everyone in that organization is attached to them and discusses all of their um, organizational dealings openly with them. And I think that whoever the next GM coming in, they end up with a condition of you got to keep these guys for at least another two or three years, or at least until what Latang's contract is up. You got this year, next year, and then his contract ends 22, 23 year. So I think that's what they're going to do is ride it out until Chris Latang's contract ends and then see where they're at and whether they need to blow it apart there. Because we got to think too, this season, they're still fourth in their division. Like they're, they're not the Penguins that we used to love, but they're still a highly skilled team that's doing better than I expected so far. Yeah, I like I agree with that. Like they're not out of it, but also like it just kind of brings me back to the conversation we had in the first episode. If if you pull the plug a little bit sooner, when these guys are high level assets instead of settling for, oh, you know, but we were a playoff team and going out in the first round in six games. I really think that you can talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins being relevant again in five years. And I I don't know, I don't know what the ownership is thinking, but, like, if, if I'm the owner, I'm like, I want this team to be relevant and to continue to build our fan base. And I don't think anyone's going to forget Sidney Crosby as a Penguin. Sidney Crosby could go on and win three more cups on the same team. And everyone's going to be like, Sidney Crosby, Pittsburgh Penguin. And I don't really think that that's going to change. No, it's true. His name is just ingrained in the history of this team now. It's regardless of where he ends his career. And I I feel like Crosby going to a team like Montreal, as much as being a Leafs fan, I wouldn't want to see that. How, How good of a story would that be for him to go to Montreal, maybe win a cup with Montreal, 
and end his career there. Like that, that's just, that's a good Canadian hockey story that you can't even argue that. Yeah. Even uh, a Chris Letang, I could see him doing really well in, in Montreal. Just, uh, you know, the, the type of player he is, uh, even though he struggles to stay healthy, he's, he's got that type of play. He, he's a high-level player, super marketable, especially in a Canadian market. I'd be uh, super interesting to see what his value is out on the market, especially because he's not the healthiest player all the time. Maybe a change of scenery wouldn't be half bad if he was, you know, on the bottom of somebody's, or not on the bottom, I guess, but in the middle of somebody's lineup instead of at the top of the Penguins. Being a a French player and having that much skill, I really think that that's an interesting concept. For some reason, I don't see Crosby going to Montreal, even though those are the rumblings. I kind of see him ending up, if he leaves, in Colorado and playing with McKinnon. Yeah, that, I, I mean, that would that be that another would be, great be, story too, right? Like, that would be fun to watch. That's a super compelling story. Yeah. And they have the cap room and they have the asset capital. I just don't – I don't know how – they're such a good team. I don't even know whether they could wait for Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook. And I, they have another big prospect that I'm not thinking of right now. But they're so asset heavy. But it seems like their team is in their window right now. I yeah, so, I agree. And they have a real big opportunity in the division they're in because of COVID. I'd be super happy to see them make a move, maybe shorten their window a little bit, and say, you know what, we're gonna do it right now. Well, how how old is McKinnon? Do you know off the top of your head? I'm trying to think of when his draft year was. Because he, he's younger than Crosby him, still, right? Yeah, way younger. Because him and Druid were in the top of that draft. He's only 25 years old. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so, they've got lots of time then. Yeah, and like they have such a good team right now. I honestly see Crosby being able to play as long as he wants to play. Yeah. I was saying this to someone the other day. I read somewhere online someone called him an elite grinder. Just saying that he's honestly so good at the game of hockey that he's not like it's not his high end skills that make you know who Sidney Crosby is. It's it's how he's so good at the fine details and how he uh, can really you know do the small things. And I would think some of the best players in the game. I think back to a couple years ago where if he would have touched the puck, it would have been a hand pass, so he lets the other player touch it. And he just lifts his stick, strips him of the puck, and then puts it in the net. That's something that most players just aren't smart enough to do. I think Sidney Crosby is going to be smart enough to play into the NHL until the day he decides that he no longer wants to, or injuries uh, take their toll. Hopefully that's not the case, obviously. We already lost a, a good part of his career injury, and I'd like to see him continue to be a great player. Well, I, I think that hockey sense is part of the reason why he might stay with the Penguins. How great is it to build a young core? Maybe you, you sell off Malkin, you sell off Latang, but you keep Crosby to help develop that core. 
and develop like a, a new, the next wave of the penguins and teach that hockey sense. Yeah, that is, that is a good point. The other point I'd like to make about the penguins is we say that they traded off a lot of their, their assets as far as prospects and stuff. Uh, but some of those guys didn't end up being who we thought they were going to be. Uh, Daniel Sprong, you know, he's, he's an NHL player, but he's not an elite NHL player. He's still young, but he had lots of opportunity to, uh, to make that team and be in a great position to be a high-level player, and he couldn't seem to do it. So some of these assets that they've traded off, you know, haven't ended up being uh, what everyone thought they were going to be at the time. Same with Pouliot. Everyone thought he was, you know, going to just unseat Latang at one point, and he just never ended up being that guy, and they were able to move them for pieces that did make their team competitive. So as much as they uh, have traded away a lot of prospects that were highly touted at one point, some of those prospects haven't ever ended up turning out to be what everyone said they were going to be. So I don't necessarily know that that is as big a miss as everyone says it was. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone like everyone says Rutherford is this very impulsive kind of guy, but maybe he's not. Maybe he, he knew a little more of what he was doing. Yeah, I think that there's some calculation in that. I also think that the good GMs do take their swing. Like, you can't just hold your pieces all the time and, and hope that you win with what you got. Sometimes you got to go out and try to make your team better. And uh, sometimes you're going to miss. But I think I'd rather have a GM that tried to win than have one that constantly kind of just held pat and tried to do uh, what everyone else is doing. We've seen Rutherford go out. You know that he's going to make a move on trade deadline. You know that he's going to, you know, get a college free agent. This is kind of a weird way that he ended his time with the Penguins. But if you're a Penguins fan and you have anything bad to say about Rutherford, you're a bad hockey fan, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Did you did you hear about the potential trade that he was trying to work on before he, he quit? I heard something about Latang being involved, but yeah. that's all basically that I heard. I heard Latang, one of the North Division teams, and a defenseman coming back their way, a defenseman and prospects coming back to, to Pittsburgh. But then that didn't end up happening because he quit. So, so I was listening to, to uh, a podcast, and it was Rob Rossi, I think. He's a, he's a writer for The Athletic, was talking about how he quit. They played the game. He quit again. The organization just didn't listen. Then he tried to make the trade, and the organization was like, but you're not our GM. How are you trying to make this trade? And it's just a really weird situation of how everything kind of played out. And that's when they ended up getting um, Weber just off of free agency instead of making the trade. Something in my gut tells me that North Division team was Montreal. I could see them just salivating for an offensive defenseman who's, who's French, who has that much weight behind his name, coming and playing with them. Uh I don't know for sure that that's where he was going, but given the Canadian track record with French players, 
the Penguins could have been in for a absolute haul of stuff, no matter where they moved a guy like that. So who do you think, uh, provided that has any truth, who do you think that Montreal would have moved as their uh, their young, young defensive prospect that they were given back? Honestly, uh, now that all this stuff's come out, I could definitely see it being Victor Mete. Right. And, like, uh, honestly, I'm going to be the first one to admit, I thought the Canadians were taking a big step this year, but I didn't see them being this good. And uh, Mark Bergerman has done a really good job at managing assets recently, so maybe he pulls the trigger on a big move like that. I don't know too much about their prospect pool. Now, I know uh, they do have some, some center prospects, and uh, that third line hole for the Penguins has been a big hole in the last couple of years. They've tried a bunch of different people to fill in. Nick Bukestad, uh, Jared McCann, and they haven't really found their guy as far as just being a steady third liner there. So I could see that being one of the one of the centers out of uh, Montreal being a guy that goes back in that trade. Um, I can't remember who it was. I want to say Ryan Poling that had the hat trick in his first game. I haven't seen very much of him coming up, and now all of a sudden the Habs have a ton of center depth with the emergence of uh, Suzuki and Cockney Emmys progression over the past couple of years. Deneau really emerging himself is a, a great two-way center. I just It seems like a log jam there. So there could have been a haul of prospects coming out of Montreal. What are the Penguins doing about a goalie? <laughs> oh, I, I really don't know what's up with that. Honestly, they've had such a goalie carousel going on there. Um, not that they haven't managed to get some good returns on their guys, but hey, if they're gonna hold Pat and keep all the old boys, maybe they should uh, think about reacquiring their boy Mark Andre Fleury because he's playing really well, and I don't think he's ever gonna be a full-time starter in Vegas again. No, and no, and, and really, Vegas he, can't afford to have him and Leonard for like they're so, they're pushing the cap. So maybe they can sneak a move there and uh, not give up too many assets. We all know that uh, Vegas is in a little bit of trouble, so maybe you can uh, get him at affordable price, reassemble all the old boys for a minute, and try to take one last kick at the can. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch. From a fan's perspective, that would be great. Yeah, I'm going to feel really bad for Marc-Andre Fleury. If he ends up in Seattle, I will. But then, if he's able to take Seattle to to a, even just to make the playoffs, I won't feel too bad because like he's still got a lot of skill, and like that's kind of a cool legacy to to end your career on to start up two new expansion draft teams. Yeah, I would agree with that. Honestly, I just I think he has an awful lot of pedigree to be being tossed around the way he's been getting tossed around the last couple of years. Like, you'd almost think that he's not worth having on your team, and the numbers tell a completely different story. Yeah. Well, he had a few quiet years in there, but then, yeah, he's 
he seems to be playing really well this year again. So yeah, I I don't know. Goalies are weird like that. Like I think we can all admit that the goalies are kind of hot and cold sometimes. You can go from being one of the best goalies in the league to just being, you know, an everyday kind of run-of-the-mill starting goalie in the NHL. Not that that's anything to be uh, ashamed of, but he definitely has that elite ability when he's in the right mindset. Definitely. All right, so Thursday we saw just a dumpster fire from the refs in the Leafs Oilers games. And I know you're going to come at us and say that we're Leafs fans. So we're just butthurt about this, but it's hard to say that when fans from every team around the entire league are just screaming into the void about the weak calls that we've seen starting last year and moving even further into this year where the refs are just calling every little thing. You could look at a player wrong and you're going to the box and it's just having an impact on the game and making it less fun to watch. It's like changing the flow of the game, changing the pace of how teams play hockey entirely. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I don't know, Brett. I, I think it's a bad thing, but what do you think? Honestly, I get that we went through that little uh, time where there was a lot of slashes on the hands not being called and and it was resulting in star players being injured, and, and, you know, that's a bad look for the NHL, and they want the best players on the ice playing hockey because that makes them the most money. But I don't know that this is where I want hockey to go, and I also don't know how you're supposed to construct a team for both the regular season and the playoffs at this point. Like, if they're going to let teams play in the playoffs, which they have been doing. Even uh, back to the first shortened season there after the lockout, they started tightening up on some of these calls and and different things like that. And even though there were a lot more fighters in the league at that time, the game's changed a lot. But the game in playoffs looks like I remember hockey in the early 2000s. And uh, I don't know how you're supposed to have a team that can be successful in both those times. No, you're right. It's right essentially now, two different styles of hockey completely. Yeah, and like that's, that's why you see the Kings the one year slip in as the eighth spot and, and end up winning the Cup because they were built to play playoff hockey. But that's a big, mean team that really – uh, that's a little bit slower, that was, wasn't was going to be as successful in the regular season. And uh, we saw the same thing with St. Louis. They they struggle all the way up until Christmas, and then uh, they get it together, slip into the playoffs, and then go right to the finals because of how they play. I just don't know how you can build a team that's going to be able to dominate through the playoffs and in the regular season with the way they're calling games. I think it really shortens up the benches, too, with the amount of penalties being called right now. I just think, uh, especially in a shortened season, uh, having your star players play 28 minutes a night every night might lead to a lot of injuries uh, that aren't involved in slashes or bad hits that are going to damage the league. 
Uh, but they're kind of overlooking that at this point. Well, I mean, we've already seen Matthews out for a game just from soreness, right? Because he didn't want to push it too hard, right? Um, and I think we're going to start seeing more of that, partly because, yeah, they're playing so many hard uh, penalty kills that you kind of you have to have them on the ice for those situations. And it seems like one game everyone will freak out about there being too many calls. The next game there'll be no calls. I think that's got to be really hard on the coaching staff, trying to get your team prepared for one game to the next. You just don't know what kind of hockey you're going to be allowed to play. The league's got to be looking at it at this point. Like, I if they're not, then as a fan, I'm just pissed. But I would imagine the league has to look at this and go, okay, how do we how do we fix this? Are the refs just not trained? Are they overtrained? What's the issue that we're seeing? And how do we fix it? I have to wonder if it's not a little bit of a social media effect on the refs too. They didn't get to hear their names too often uh, before all the social media, and then they hear that they had a bad game or they didn't make any calls or they made too many calls and they feel kind of trapped. I just think there has to be some sort of solution there. I don't know what it is at this point, but there definitely needs to be something. No, and I, I think you're right about that too with the, like, even even not just social media, but we saw in that uh, Leafs versus Oilers game, terrible call on Kerfoot that wasn't actually a slash because he was six inches away from his hands. And then you go 10 minutes through the game and then there's another really garbage call against the Oilers with the puck over the um, over the glass into the bench refs just get in this place where they're trading garbage call for garbage call to try and even it out and then that just ruins the game like you can't you can't make a bad call and then try and even it out because then you have an impact on the game that you're not supposed to have and i think that's what we're seeing this year is the refs having a lot more impact on how the teams are playing the outcome of games and and how teams are coached and it's it's a big issue yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, I would be worried if I'm the, the coach just because I don't know how to coach my team from one game to the next. Like, that's got to be concerning for the coaching staffs uh, just because you want your team to compete. You want to be tuning them up to play playoff hockey. Maybe not right now, but sooner rather than later in this shortened season. And uh, I don't know where that kind of goes and how that works itself out. You can't have teams being scared to take a penalty all regular season and then be let play in the playoffs and not really know what they're allowed and not allowed to do. Yeah, I think if I'm if I'm the teams and I'm the coaching staff, I'm yelling at the league to to fix it and get I I don't even know what you could do because there, it's not like you're not just going to replace the refs. That's not going to fix the problem. You can't just, like, I guess you could discipline the refs, but I don't know if that fixes the problem. And once the calls are made, I don't want them to stop the game to review a call over and over again because that just that disrupts the play even more. So I don't know what the answer is to how, how they fix this. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says you got to let the players police the game. But I think... This is what starts to happen 
when none of that policing happens anymore by the players is that the refs have to have so much more of an impact on the game and sometimes it just gets away from them. Yeah, and I think especially in a season like this season where we're seeing teams face each other over and over and over again and frustration and like the heat of the game is already at a higher level than you would normally see in a season, we're going to start seeing players step up and, and start policing the game because the refs are making ridiculous calls. They're just going to start, the frustration is going to overflow and people are going to get hurt or stupid penalties are going to get taken where someone's going to get hit into a, hit into the boards or a fight's going to happen and someone's going to get hurt. Yeah, I think that that's where we're getting to already, honestly. And like they say that, um, that that's an era gone by, but every guy in the NHL right now isn't old enough to forget that era. They might not have played in it. Uh, some guys obviously did, but not all of them. But they, they grew up with it. I think that it's a natural progression in uh, this season where all these teams are playing each other all the time. Uh, you are going to see a little more of that. I think these games are going to continue to get chippier and chippier. And I just I want to see the refs have a little bit less of an impact. And honestly, maybe that comes down to the player, the, to the management on the teams assembling different rosters that allow their teams uh, to police the game a little bit more. I don't know. But something is about to change. Yeah, I think we're coming up on a, a breaking point where if we keep seeing it, it's not only is it going to drive away fans, but it's it's going to change the game long-term. It's not just that this season is a little weird. It ends up having an impact on how the game is played year over year. And I don't like where that projection is headed. No, and I, and I think that uh, that might end up leading to a, to a thing that the league doesn't want to see, where more players end up in the lineup that can police the game, more fights, and I don't think that's what the NHL wants. But if the, if the refing continues to be this way, that's what the NHL is setting itself up for. Before we move on from hockey, I just want to mention that the NWHL has had to cancel their the rest of their season. They're coming up on their semifinals tomorrow night and their finals to play Friday night. And because of COVID, has, COVID got into the bubble, they've unfortunately had to cancel their season, which really sucks because Toronto was in the top seed and looked really good, had their first shutout the other night. And I was really hoping they could win it all. But at least we got a week and a half uh, or two weeks of really good high intensity hockey that has me really excited for a normal NWHL season next year. And hopefully I've, I've seen the NWHL in the media a lot more like TSN has been posting about it more Sportsnet's been posting about it more. So I, I'm going to try and look at the silver lining here and say that maybe because the season was canceled and because they even tried a season in the first place, that that's going to help boost the game in the future. It sucks that it, that the season was had to end how it did, but I think overall it's still going to help boost the game. Cause even just myself 
I started watching it for the first time and I already have favorite players, already have favorite teams, and I'm looking forward to seeing them fight for the Isabel Cup next year. Now, I did read that it was postponed, and I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're going to try to uh, get it going again at some point or whether they're going to call it a year. Honestly, I hope that they find a way to make it work. If they were able to finish it up, I would be super happy for them. I think all these players put in a lot of time to get in shape, to be ready for this, and it's a real shame that they've had this opportunity taken away from them. Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that it had said postponed. So I haven't, I haven't heard when it could come back. But yeah, I hope it does because last season COVID started just at the end of their playoffs as well. So no one has won an Isabel Cup the last two years. So there's a lot of uh, pent up frustration from these women and. They they all just want to play. So next year should be really intense hockey. And the the thing is, uh, with with uh, their limited earning potential so far in that league, which I hope gets ratified, I just think you're probably losing good players every time this happens. Like to to getting real jobs or to you know going on to something else or finishing out their their schooling and giving up on pro hockey. Every time we have one of these setbacks, uh, there's a possible star who's hanging up the skates. And uh, I think that's a real shame. Uh, so I guess let's let's move into some basketball. We wanted to talk about the Raptors. They're sort of in a gray area right now, right now similar to where the Penguins are, where they've got Lowry, who is an older guy. He's 34. He's on a one-year deal that will end this year do the raps trade him to build their future or do they stick it out with him and try and hope he doesn't walk at the end of the season and try and add some pieces to make a push uh do you want to start on this spot i think i have a pretty aggressive opinion so maybe you should give it to start and see we'll see where it goes sure so i think that they should stick with lowry I think we've seen that this year and last year, and I mean, his numbers haven't gone down. The team around him is kind of playing like garbage this year, except for the past, like the past few weeks, they've, they've started to pick up and his numbers haven't changed. He's still got a 417 average. And last year was his average was 418. So he's still hitting those numbers that he should. I think that, it would be good for the Raptors to maybe extend him another couple of years. They've got a few young prospects that are coming up through their system with Stanley Johnson. We've seen uh, Terrence Davis start to pick up his play. I mean, Ananobi is still a young guy. He's only 23. He's definitely got a future. We saw that Van Vliet is putting up great numbers, especially last night. Then that gives guys in that point guard position another couple years so like Flynn and Harris to develop their skills develop their defense and then maybe in the offseason the Raps can go into free agency and pick up a solid center free agency is still a long way away that kind of writes off the end of or this season but I think there's there's people out there that with Lowry 
and with the set of guys they have now that they can add and arguably be a championship team again. I was looking into a lot of the free agents at center that are going to be free agents this year. And there's one name that really stuck out in my head that's going to be a free agent this year. And that's Rashawn Holmes. He plays in Sacramento. He's their top five center right now, but he's still young. He's ending a contract that's only four mil a year right now. So you can get him fairly cheap lets you afford to re-sign Lowry for a couple of years, and he's been putting up really solid defensive numbers and a good a good offense too. And we've seen that defense right now is where the Raptors are lacking. So getting a guy that can really command your defense from that center post could push this team back to the championship, and at least, if nothing else, back to the playoffs. I honestly have been super torn on this. I'm going to be pretty honest with everybody. I've decided, though, that I think maybe we move on. Maybe the Raptors are not better off without Lowry, but Lowry is, is going down as the best Raptor all time, career-wise, either way. And he's so good at the finer points of basketball. And honestly, you just don't get to see that on a team like the Raptors right now. As much as I love Lowry being on the Raptors, I really just want to see him, you know, finish off his career on a strong note. I don't think anyone's going to forget, similar to what I said about Crosby, is going to forget who Lowry was as a Raptor. I don't think there's any doubt that his number goes up into the rafters. I think it's it might just be the right time to get some value out of that asset. I also think that Raptors fans tend to be a little bit of fickle basketball fans. You know, it's not a typical basketball market. I know uh, some people are already probably ready to turn me off hearing me say that, but I don't want to see Lowry's legacy get soured in a Raptors uniform just by trying to uh, make his career last here longer and, you know, uh, ending in mediocrity. I think no matter what, his numbers retired as a Raptor. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be a Legends row for the Raptors. I think there should be. And I think he should probably be one of the first players on it. But I just don't know that this is the the right time to hold on to him. I think it might be the respectful thing to do uh, for a guy who's done so much for this franchise to let him go and let him continue to be an important player in the league for as long as he can do that. I'd love to see him re-sign and retire a Raptor, but I really think that if he wants to go on and he thinks he has more in the tank, this isn't the place for him to chase another championship. And if that's something he wants to do, I think it's the respectful thing to do for a guy who's given this franchise so much. When so many other players have turned their back on the Raptors, Kyle Lowry's given his all every single night. He's had some ups and downs, but I think everyone can say that he's been a great Raptor and 
it's not like he's leaving us in the prime of his career. So if he wants to go chase another ring, I'd be happy to watch him do it, and I'd be cheering if he won. I think that was that was well said. I think you're you're totally right in that. Regardless of what happens, his name goes down in history with the Raptors. He he has been a really big part of this team for a long time. My concern with moving him is that I feel like the league, or I think that a lot of GMs in the league don't see the value in him the same way they would see a value, the value in some of the other big guys out there, like the other top names. I think that he's being on Toronto makes him a little underrated, and I don't know that they're going to get the value that they need to make a big move. I, I don't know, but honestly, uh, the way trades are made in the NBA, I wouldn't be surprised if they did get a good return for him. I think um, it, it'll depend on the timing the right of the team, trade. The right team in the right situation might be willing to pay up. I think that if Kawhi were to say, I want Kyle Lowry, I think there's a high-level return there for Lowry just because of who's asking to get him. I could also see him going and playing in Philly just because that's where he's from. I Honestly, I'd hate to see it just because of the Raptors' playoff battles against them and and uh, what he's meant in those games. Um, but I feel kind of hypocritical being a Leafs fan and being happy that Tavares went home and also not wanting to see other players do it. Well, and it, I mean... It's hard when you're in the same division, right? Like, you play against these guys all the time. So, yeah, I get it. You want to see it for the story. You don't want to see it for the play. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I'm ever... I think years from now, I'm going to still be listening to the Raptors starting lineup get announced and hear from North Philly to your city, Kyle Lowry. I don't think that's ever going to... Not make me hype, but honestly, I think it would be huge for him to get to go home, and I think there's an opportunity for him to go there and win. So if he was ever going to do it, even though it's going to hurt Raptors fans, this is the time. And uh, I'd be super happy for him if I got to see it, even though it would sting. So say they do move him, who fills that role with the team? Honestly, I, I think it's going to have to be a combined effort. I don't think anyone necessarily on the team brings exactly what Kyle Lowry brings. But I look around at the point guards in the NBA, and I don't see a lot of point guards bring what Kyle Lowry brings. And drawing charges, maybe not being the best three-point shooter, but somehow or another always ending up with a couple clutch ones. We've seen him take over for short periods of time and bring the Raptors back into a game they don't deserve to be in by him just taking the ball and driving it to the basket and making things happen and making them a competitive team. I don't necessarily, uh, like there are lots of players that do that, but I don't see a guy on the Raptors right now uh, who can force that to happen. I think it's going to be a team effort. Starting with Fred Van Fleet, who has given me no reason to believe that he's not getting better every night. 
So he might be able to be that next guy. And I think at 26 years old, it's time to let him try to be that guy. If we want him to be that guy in two years, he probably needs to start being allowed to be that guy right now. So without without Lowry, though, I worry that maybe we're if we start a rebuild now, do we have enough pieces on the bench to move up to give Van Vliet and Siakam the players that they need to excel, the skill that they need with them to play their best game? And I don't know if we have that. I honestly don't. I don't know if we do either. But the only thing I do know is that so many players move around in the NBA and the landscape changes so fast. Those players could become available while I'm talking to you right now. And up to two weeks ago, those guys might have looked untouchable. The NBA is in the NHL where you watch a guy develop all the way through the AHL and then he becomes your guy and, you know, it's this great story. That does happen. Obviously, it, it has happened, especially with the Raptors, who seem to be uh, very good at that with guys like Siakam and Van Fleet and now Chris Boucher. And but I think we're starting to see not, that with uh, Watanabe, too. We're starting to see him come into his own as well. Yeah, and I remember him being drafted and hearing that, you know, if he wasn't injured, he could have been a way higher pick and that there were some injury concerns. So I think maybe this team is closer than we think just some of the holes they have right now are so gaping but like they're one free agency away from filling those holes yeah i just think that because of the honest situation and all these different things that have happened over the past uh few years of being so competitive it was hard to uh hard to necessarily make too many moves but they're poised to make moves next season and I think it could move faster than we think with or without Kyle Lowry. I just don't know that we're going to give him another opportunity to compete before his career's over for an NBA championship. And I'm not saying I want to get rid of him, but if that's something he wants, I want him to have that opportunity. So, I mean, speaking of the holes that we need to fill, obviously the center is one of the holes we need to fill. I, I don't know if you've heard these rumors, but I've heard rumors going around of the potential of Andre Drummond becoming a Raptor. What do you what do you think of that? I'm assuming that would mean Lowry would go, and that would be the trade. Do you like that that idea? And is I, I is he enough to to push the team over the top? Andre Drummond is coming out of Cleveland, from what I understand, right? Yeah, he's coming out of Cleveland. Been hearing a lot about how he's he's not playing a lot for them. So I don't necessarily know that we'd have to give up uh, such a player like Kyle Lowry to make that happen. I also don't know if <laughs> shipping Kyle Lowry to Cleveland is giving him another sh- shot at an NBA championship. No, it's definitely not. But the, the other thing I guess we need to be more aware of is... Uh, the NBA moves so quickly with like three player trades and all these other things like that, that I think you could see something happen quite quickly. It had Lowry going somewhere else and a pick and a prospect going to 
Cleveland and giving Andre Drummond a chance to reinvent himself as a Raptor or to get his feet back underneath himself as a Raptor. I honestly think that the Raptors are the right place for reclamation projects because of their defense-first system, even though it didn't really work out at the start of this year with Alex Len, who I kind of secretly had a little bit of high hopes for. I think that there's a lot of talented centers in the league. I'm not too concerned with their ability to not get a guy. I just think that it'll take a while for a guy like that to be implemented in the system really well. Like, I think uh, Gasol was a match made in heaven as far as a a defense-first center as it is. So he worked really well within their system, where it might take another guy a while to climatize. Well, Drummond's a, a defense-first kind of center, too. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm not, I'm not against that move. I'm just, I'm worried... I guess, how it all works out. And I don't know if they can do that move and keep Lowry just on the idea of money. Because Lowry's at $30 million right now, and Drummond is at $28 mil. Drummond's also a UFA at the end of this year. Yeah, so I think that wouldn't be a half-bad move, because I think if we can prove to him that, that he fits into our system, that it would be easy to keep him. Mm-hmm. Um. But we've said that before. Uh, some guys just aren't interested in playing in Canada. So I think it's important to try to get guys who do have a little bit of term so we can find ways to make that work. So I guess we've kind of taken a look at the Raptors roster. Do you want to move into your player of the week? Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about my player of the week this week. Honestly, I had a different player of the week this week until last night. Uh, 54 points for Fred Van Fleet setting a Raptors franchise record, as well as a record for undrafted player. So I'm super happy for him. I can't believe what he's done. Uh, It's super exciting to have a guy like that locked up long-term. And that's why I think maybe the Raptors should look at a little bit of a retooling situation instead of a rebuild. And I'm super excited to see where that leads. Congratulations to Fred Van Vliet for... Such a big effort last night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tons of records set for him last night. What was it the most points scored by an undrafted player in, in a single game? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's it, and that's just a cool stat to be able to own and be like, yeah, look what I, I came from nothing, now I'm here. So I'll go my, my player of the week. I'm sticking with basketball, but I'm moving over to Houston, and my player of the week is going to be Victor Oladipo. Since he joined the Rockets and I'm not giving him all of the credit because there was a few other pieces and it just kind of it brought the the team's chemistry just kind of came together with him but I'm just because it was since he came over I'm going to give him the player of the week and they've gone eight and two since he started they lost the first two games that he played in and haven't lost since they've won six straight and he's been putting up good numbers too He's been consistent. The whole team has played really well around him. He's played some really solid defense as well. He's uh, been getting some really good defensive rebounds and good assist looks and just made that team who maybe was questioning this year with the loss of James Harden and made them look like a contender. I think that if they can keep playing the way they're playing, 
then there's a good chance that we see them in the playoffs and there's a good chance that we see them push. Yeah, I'm very excited for them, honestly. Such a good team. You know, it's got to be scary for them to lose a guy like that and, and to be able to continue to be a good team. I Like, that is such a big accomplishment. Super excited to see where that leads them. Also, it's a huge chance for Oladipo to really uh, prove that he's the player that people thought he could be uh, before some of his injury concerns. Uh, this is a huge opportunity for him, and he's seizing it right now. So uh, there's not much more you can say other than that you're super happy for a guy like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see where that team goes because, yeah, they're they're another team that doesn't have a ton of skill, but they seem to look just really balanced right now, and their skill is placed across the court well, and it's working. their system's working for them. Yeah, I guess uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, excited to talk about the Super Bowl. Follow us on Instagram at The Fanalist Podcast and Twitter at T Fanalists. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.